This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I am your host, Shane Told, and this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to sing in a professional band. And ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to announce that the time has finally come where we have a lead singer actually willing to talk about the sex, the drugs, and the rock and roll. His name is Scott Rousseau. He sings for the band Unwritten Law, and believe me when I say, this guy has seen some shit. Now, Unwritten Law has been a band since the early 90s. Their first album came out in 1995, and they came from the San Diego punk rock scene, you know, along with such bands as Blink-182. And in 1998, they put out their self-titled record, which was still a punk rock record, but it had elements of more mainstream music. It was on a major label, and it found its way into my hands when I was in high school, and it was a record I just absolutely loved. Now, clearly, I wasn't the only one that loved the record. The band started getting very popular, and in 2002, they put out their record, Alva, which had the hit Seeing Red, which was, I mean, massive. It was number one on the charts for quite some time. The band was all over MTV. I mean, it got crazy for them. And not only did it just get crazy in terms of their popularity, it got very, very crazy on the road and behind the scenes as well. Before we get into it with Scott, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that's subscribed, that listens every week. That means so much. And thanks to everybody who's been emailing me. It's just so heartwarming, you know, that you guys love the show so much. So one thing I'm going to ask you guys to do is real simple. If you like the show, please just tell your friends. Send out a tweet about it. Hey, check it out. Put it up on Facebook. You know, just tell your brothers, tell your sisters, anybody that likes music or likes podcasts, help spread the word about this thing because I'm, I'm starting to feel really, really good about the direction we're going. The Warped Tour episodes were a lot of fun. We had uh, Jenna from Tonight Live was a great episode. Ashley Costello of New Year's Day last week was awesome. This one, I think, 
I know I always say it. This one might be my favorite. So please just keep spreading the word. I know last week too, I mentioned the lead singer syndrome VIP club or fan club, whatever it is. Thank you very much for sending me the emails about that too. We're working on it and hopefully we're going to have some news soon about that. As always, if you want to get in touch, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Also check us out on Twitter at leadsingersyn, S-Y-N. We're on Facebook and we're also on Instagram at leadsingersyndrome. And for now, if you want to help out the show, we have the Amazon referral link. If you buy anything off Amazon, all you do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It takes you to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal and we get 4% of whatever you buy. Costs you nothing. So please check that out as well. All right, everybody, fasten your seatbelts because it's coming. Here's my conversation with Scott Rousseau of Unwritten Law. You can't save me. You can't change me. Hello? Hello, is that Scott? This is. Hey, Scott. Shane uh, Shane told with Silverstein and Lead Singer Syndrome. Oh, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, man. You ready for uh, ready to chat? Yeah, let's do that. Dude, awesome, man. Where are you, where are you at right now? I'm at a gas station in somewhere in the middle of Ohio. <laughs> Sounds like a great day, man. Right? We just stopped at a fireworks superstore. Yeah, we, we did. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, we spent about five hundred dollars fucking fireworks on explosives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so let me get this straight. You guys are still touring. Uh, you've been in a band for what twenty something years. You're in your forties, and you're still buying five hundred dollars worth of fireworks. I mean, I'm not buying them, but I'm going to be fucking lighting them. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, amazing. You're a grown ass man who like fireworks. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Is there a couple people who am I talking to? Yeah, you're talking to my baby brother and the bass player for Unwritten Law. Right, right on. Cool, cool. That's yeah, me. this is uh, this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, so you guys are the first non-lead uh, singers ever to make a, an appearance. Do you feel privileged? I'm, I'm a lead singer. No, I know you are, but is everybody a lead singer? Well, everyone can't be a lead singer, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lead backup singer. Everybody can try, yeah, man. That's right. Yeah, the lead, lead bass syndrome. <laughs> That wouldn't work, right? Lead that wouldn't work. Yeah, it would. It L- would. L- L- LBS. Well, fine then. I'll yeah. go away. <laughs> Lead base syndrome. <laughs> so, man, uh, I want to talk about you. You had a surgery like a month ago. How are you holding up? Um, I'm, everything's everything's green. I'm, I'm I'm right as rain now. So, well, uh, figuratively speaking, I'm gonna have to. It's gonna be something I'm gonna have to manage forever. So I'll have to go back in six months, have another surgery next six months. Surgery, 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 surgery. Ah, oh, shit. Well, what is it? What's going on? Can you talk about it? Uh, it was a, yeah, it was a stomach cancer scare, quite honestly. Oh, my God. Damn, damn that's so horrible, man. Yeah, it was pretty fucking uh, 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 shit my pants for about three months there. No doubt about it. Well, you mean literally shit your pants because it was stomach cancer? No. Um, <laughs> Figuratively. Yes, yes, yes. No. I, uh, sorry, I... I don't know if I can allowed to make jokes about cancer. I attempted it. That may have been <laughs> in poor taste. Super funny. <laughs> <laughs> it may have been in poor taste. Uh, so um, you guys, uh, so I guess you're on tour right now. If you're at a gas station in Ohio, I don't think you just drove out for fun or just to buy fireworks. No, no, we are. 
yeah, we're we're smack dab in the middle of our two of our six week tour, three weeks and some change in, and, and yeah, we're out with our good friends Phoenix TX. Cool, cool, very cool. And our new label mates. That's right, yeah. Cyber Cyber Cybertracks Cybertracks Records with uh, El Jefe of No Effects, um, taking a a page out of his his lead singer's book and starting his own label. Uh, How's that been so far? How did that come about? Uh, Well, we started making this record on on Suburban Noise, and for the life of me, I couldn't turn it over to Kevin Zinger. Uh, I just didn't feel like I felt like he was shady and was fucking up to no good. And Halfway through, well, I released them as our label, finished making the record, and shopped it to a few people. And honestly, El Jefe had gotten a copy of it, and uh, he had had all the right things to say to me. He believed in the record the way I believed into it, in it, and uh, that's where we decided to uh, to park our to park our little our little camp. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, the most recent thing is you guys also have a, a new acoustic record, which just came out, right? Yeah, it came out April 1st, April Fool's Day. Perfect, perfect. Uh, yeah, man, so uh, what was the decision to do that? Because it's got, I was looking at the track listing, you know, I've been a, a, a big fan of you guys. I mean, I should I saw you back playing, you know, back in the 90s, of course, uh, when I was a little kid and loved your band ever since. So what was the kind of reasoning be- behind doing this now? Is it just kind of to set up something uh, with the new record uh, coming well, out soon? It's funny as you say that because that's what it was meant to be. <clears throat> it was meant to be recorded in five days, 13 songs, and just me and a guitar. Yeah. And uh, cut to two and a half years later, it's, it's me and a guitar and then a whole bunch of production. <laughs> right, right. Well, I wanted to make something. I wanted to make – it was going to be just a piece uh, to buy time in between uh, full distorted cycles. But um, uh, I just couldn't for life of me just put a piece of shit out there that I didn't believe in. So I went all the way in and gave it my all. And yeah, here we are. And it, uh, yeah, I just, I like, you know, at this stage of my career and in my life, really, I just couldn't put anything out that wasn't, that I didn't fully hundred percent believe in. And, and so I had to believe in this. And so I had to make it how I, how I heard it. And I wanted to make something dope. So when I'm dead and gone and my kids, kids listen to it, they'll be like, granddaddy was dope. <laughs> granddaddy was dope. Well, it's true. And the other thing about those songs is, is those songs are special and those songs are important to people. Like, you know, like, uh, uh, you're not just going to shit out like some half-assed version of, of, you know, say seeing red or Kaylin or whatever, like those songs that legitimately have, I'm sure people tell you every day, you know, the songs saved my life. And like people have real emotional connections to these songs. So I think that decision is a, is a really important decision. Uh, yeah, to be honest, uh, I only chose songs for the record that I truly believed were, because again, it was going to be just me and a guitar that were going to be lyrically and right. structurally, structurally, uh, excuse me, uh, well-written or well-crafted songs, and then songs that I believed in. And yeah, so, you know, obviously Kaylin, for obvious reasons, you know, uh, some of the songs just lended themselves better to this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Oblivion, Oblivion and... We've done acoustic sets before, but so on this one, I I didn't want to just do music in high places again. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to do a rock band doing their rock songs acoustically. I had to flip it a bit just to make it again fresh. And uh, so I rewrote chord progressions like Nevermind's a completely different song. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So like there's just a whole bunch of uh, stuff going on in there that's, that people are not going to be expecting, but for sure. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I want to ask you about about this because you know I looked at the track listing and it's mostly old songs. There's a couple new ones as well, and you yeah. have a new record coming out. So, at this point in your career, is it is it really important for you guys to? Uh, sorry, is it important? You all right, man? Uh, debatable. You got a bit of a cold, huh? <laughs> is it cold yes. there in Ohio? Is it like because fucking freezing? I'm in Toronto. It's brutal. We have snow still. Oh God! It's, it was it's snowing this morning. Yeah, it was snowing this morning. So oh, it's, dude. It's, I'll tell you what—it's lower. It's lower than thirty-two degrees. <laughs> uh, that's awful. Fuck, man. It, it is terrible. Uh, yeah, you guys from San Diego? I don't know. I would never leave. But um, let me get back to the question. Uh, sure, sure. Which is which is just, you know, you guys have such a legacy now. And, you know, you like records like, I mean, obviously the self-titled and Elva are, you know, your two biggest records. Um, I'm still a big fan of like your first two albums, but you guys have a real legacy and a real fan base. Now you put out an acoustic record like this and now you have a new record coming out. Is it important for you guys to go kind of back and forth between what you're doing now and then also be like, hey, we're Unwritten Law. We're a band that's been here. We've made these classic records, these classic songs. Is that part of what you're kind of trying to say? Uh, with these actions? No. No, no. I, I, quite honestly, uh, I have no loyalty to punk rock or to this, to rock or to radio or to try to craft a song to make radio. My only objective is to make, again, dope shit. And so going into each record, it's like, what have I been influenced by? What's, you know, what am I, what's going to make me happy? What can I give it to you? I can hand you this record when it's done. And not have any disclaimers, like not like it should be this or it could be that. Or it's like fuck that. When I make records and I make music, I want to make sure I can give it to you and just go, man, turn this, turn this up, man, and that's it. So whatever it is that I make, I'm not following any guidelines. And I think with all art, you know, you know, if, yeah. if I was painting painting, I wouldn't want to paint the same painting twice. It'd be ridiculous. And for me, it's like I just want to make, I want to continue evolving as an artist, and and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Whether that keeps fans or loses fans is not even on my agenda as well. It's like, I just want to make, again, dope shit so my grandkids think that their grandfather was fucking ill. Right. I love, I love that, man. I love that. And, I mean, obviously, you, you have a daughter that you've you know, put out there a long time ago in one of your most popular songs, Kaylin. And she's yep. become, I mean, uh, she's definitely got her own career. <laughs> Which you is go, you go and, how do I say this? yeah? How do I say this? Your daughter's super fucking hot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is getting awkward. Uh, no, I, well, you, well, I mean, you started I, it, muchacho. <laughs> no, dude, I, I'm. Um, I mean, I've already, I've known the song, Kaylin. You know, since that record came out, I've loved the song, yeah. and I didn't know what it was about. At first, I Thank thought it was much. about like, uh, like your wife or something like that, and then. Literally, I was looking you up on the internet. Hey, what's what's uh, Scott Russo from Unwritten Law doing? And I didn't know that you know your it was about your daughter, and I didn't know that she was like you know a, a model and you know in Justin Bieber videos and all this stuff. Um, how did that all come about with her career? Was was that something that you had a hand in, like helping her out with? Uh, I was instrumental in the beginning stages. I have friends in the surf and skate industry. And ASR was happening, and my girl Tracy Young, who works for Lost, needed uh, needed a cute little girl to walk the clients back at ASR to you know that's where they you know sell big part. Uh, it's a huge trade show for the action sports world, right? So while she was doing that, she was scouted out by a modeling agency. Ironically, the, the owner of the agency was an unwritten law fan, 
and uh, and it started there. And um, you know, she just kind of blew up. But uh, honestly, she quit modeling uh, a year ago. Oh, really? And yeah, she quit modeling. And uh, at the top too, she you know she is kind of an an icon. Uh, and for her to stop was just kind of what's going on. Well, she wanted to get into the music business. And she did, and two weeks ago, uh, in between a bidding war between Interscope and Warner Brothers, she signed the Warner Brothers, and so we'll be having a, a Kalen Russo record coming Whoa, out next year. Oh, that is so rad, man! Yeah, I'm very, very proud. And I'm sure when you wrote that song, when you wrote that song when she was, you know, a baby, basically, uh, yeah, she was you three or four. You would have never thought that, right? I mean, that is like that must make you no, smile I mean, every time you think about it. Well, the first one, you know, at first it was like, you know, uh, modeling. Oh, cute. She got a little ad in this. And then right. it was like, you know, we're, dri- we're driving to Hollywood and there's billboards over. I'm like, okay, that's getting a little awesome. And then, uh, you know, then just the covers of magazines. And then obviously like, you know, it was always, I mean, man, I guess only a father will know, but you're, you're proud of, unless you're, you're, your child's a fucking serial killer. You're proud of whatever <laughs> they, they child does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, of course. Uh, for, for her to for her to really take off and be humble and be dope with the whole modeling thing, and then to shut it off when she wanted to, and to go completely for a different thing, and, and, and at the peak of her modeling and pull it off was just—I mean, I couldn't be more proud. And quite honestly, like I've, I've I've produced like two of the tracks on the record, and it's no joke, man. It's gonna she's gonna she's gonna buy far and above out gangster daddy. <laughs> when this thing drops man right right she's always been a singer uh you know what when she was 17 she came to me and she's like daddy i'm ready to sing i'm like cool so i produced two tracks for her and she'd go home and write lyrics and come back when you're ready and we'll record them and right before we recorded the first two tracks like now i gotta tell you something these lyrics are are, i hope you're not mad they're pretty gnarly and i'm like it's okay baby and i made eight records about fucking partying and and you know getting your heart broken and uh, and sure shit, yeah, her 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 lyrics, you know, cut straight through, and uh, her voice is diamond. It's a bit like there's a very pretty white girl. You know, I'm not, I'm not biased by saying this. You can Google her, but uh, <laughs> she sounds she sounds like Erica Badu meets meets Amy Winehouse. Very heroiny, very cool. Like like not trying to overdo it like American Idol or anything like that. It's very right, very right. fucking cool. Raw organic, on real. Mic, yeah. When she when she got on the mic and. Uh, as soon as I fucking started tracking, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is something." I can, you know, I've I've, I've worked with a million artists of producing and ghostwriting and doing shit. And even though she is my daughter, I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of just gnarly. Like, if she sucked, I'd be like, "Baby, this is we might want to try something else." <laughs> right, right. But um, as soon as she got on the mic, I knew that there was something there. So she's been crafting, you know, uh, you know, uh, fi- she's been uh, fine tuning her craft, you know, for the last four years and uh you know again she uh she locked down warner brothers and one of the biggest managers in the world as well so she's i'm expecting big things to happen with this and i'm really excited and i and again i could not be more proud pop for sure that's amazing dude i love i love hearing that so much you brought up you know yourself being a songwriter uh being a, a ghostwriter has that been something you've done for a long time um kind of you know my the first record that i worked on worked on was Pivot's Pressure, and that had to come out in when? 95? Yeah, maybe like Yeah, I remember that band. 96, yeah. so that was the first record that I had co-written and produced. And then from there, I worked with Anya Marina, Super Groupie, Mickey Avalon, Big B, uh, Mike Posner, 
I was writing oh, yeah. a track for Five Seconds of Summer. Um, I'm kind of all over the, all over the place. I have a project coming out with Danny Way, the skateboarder. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but of he, course, he, yeah. He jumped. He, he's the dude that jumped over the Great Wall of China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so it's him and I, and it's called the Collective. And uh, then we have just guest artists on it. Uh, we have Tommy Lee, we have Swayze, we have Mod Sun, we have Eddie Rap Life, um, we have Del the Funky Homo Sapien on it, and that should come out by the end of summer. So. I mean, all I do is music. Uh, people don't know that, but that's... no, no, people don't know that. That's kind of why I wanted to ask you because it's it's yeah. like people will look at Unwritten Law, and you know, you guys, you guys do things sporadically, but you're not putting out records every two years and and touring the world anymore. You know, so so that that kind of thing is it's it's interesting because people don't know that Scott Rousseau is still very very immersed in what's going on with music, and you know, you're very up to date. You know, it's not just some like throwback yeah. band, which I. I I think is really, really, uh, is really interesting. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm like a broke John Feldman. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking funny. I wonder if Feldman would do this podcast. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll tell him you said he's a, that. He's a good dude. I'm quite sure that he would. He is a good dude. I would love to tell him that, that, uh, that you said that though. I think, he, I think he'd think that was funny. Yeah, um, it is a, it's a compliment. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. He's very good at what he does. Yes, sir. Uh, so I want to talk about a couple things, man. Well, the first thing is we were just talking about how you're a songwriter, ghostwriter, musician, but you know, back in the day when I would go to Unwritten Law shows, you were a standalone singer. Like I didn't even know if you played guitar. I didn't know if you were a songwriter. I just saw you up there, you know, running around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, now I I looked at some pictures and like you are playing guitar on stage and you're you know you're I think pretty much for all the songs, right? And um, how would how did that tra- well how did that transition come about and that must have really changed you know your stage show and how you felt about getting up there yeah um you know we used to be a five piece there was no need for a six guitar uh, I do write a uh, majority of the music and uh, when me and my guitar player got in a fight on stage at a sold out show in Anaheim House of Blues it was time to uh, time to put on a guitar and fucking say goodbye to the homie and right. that's really where it came and that's where it felt right. That was the first time it started feeling right. It's never, Unreal's never really felt quite right in my heart of hearts until this lineup now. But as soon as Rob left, you know, we asked Rob to leave. The very first show that we did, we'd, we had flown to, uh, to uh, Las Vegas as a four piece. And it wasn't meant to be, but we, we had this festival that we were meant to be headlining in, in Las Vegas. And uh, Rob had basically cut his finger off trying to, trying to kill me on stage. And Jesus. so he couldn't play, he couldn't play the show regardless because he had to have his finger attached and it was at a cast and and spikes in there so he couldn't play, and so we went out as a four piece and when we all walked out on stage it just felt even and steady, and during that set I didn't have a guitar on it was the first time because the fight had happened actually three days previous to that, and uh, so you could just feel the songs that needed uh, needed two guitars and the songs yeah. that didn't. And from that point on, we just kind of uh, made our set list around that, like what songs looked uh, or can be held off by pulled off by one person, and what songs need two people. Right, right, and, right. Uh, that's it, man. Um, so, uh, so I have to ask you, what? Ha- so you got in a fight on stage. He tried to kill you, yeah. and he cut his finger off. Yeah. Did he tried to like I mean, stab you with a glass bottle or something. No, he tried to hit me with a with a vodka bottle as he was running through a door. But he was kind of a big guy, a tall guy, and he caught the top of the door hinge with a bottle. It smashed uh, as it was coming down towards me, and uh, it sliced off half. And his this face. is during the show. 
This is, uh, yeah, it was during the show. No, no, that was as soon as after. directly after. During the show, he fucking, he, uh, I went to, he didn't know one of the songs that, you know, we had written. Actually, my kids, all three of my kids were singing on it, ironically. The song was called Fight. Uh-huh. And uh, my kids were coming up, and Disneyland had given us five passes to go to Disneyland. Yeah, so yeah. Doing two nights of that, two nights at Anaheim House of Blues. So they were coming up, and they wanted to sing the fight song, the song they sing on the record. However, Rob didn't know the record because he didn't really write anything on the record. So the, the weekend previous to that, we'd practice it, knowing that my kids were coming. He had it when the time came on that Tuesday night at the Anaheim House of Blues. Yeah. Uh, we were all like, you know, you know, here comes the, you know, we're doing the fight song. The kids are ready. You got three mics out. And Rob's like, no, no, no. I'm like, dude, I've already committed. We just said it. We just said it. We're going. And we played the song. And after, you know, the song was fine. Rob didn't play because he didn't know it. So just standing at his amp, uh, all pissed. And I look at him like, oh, Rob's mad at him. And I go to give him a hug. I go to give him a hug. And he pushes me. Oh, and I had man. A bottle of water. I had a bottle of water in my hand. I fucking kind of gave him a little splash. And he oh, fucking knocked shit. My, he, knocked my, he knocked my tooth out. And I, boom, <laughs> like, punched me in the face, right? So I walk off stage, and I'm streaming the Anaheim Hospitals. I walk down the little corridor, and I walk down, and I'm like, fucking, that motherfucker knocked my tooth out. So I walk back on stage, and everyone's still on stage, and I walk up to him, and I'm just like, and his amp, his guitar was sitting on his amp, and he was sitting with his wife uh, right by the uh, sound engineer, or excuse me, the uh, monitor engineer, and like with his arms crossed, like, going like, what the fuck are you going to do? And I walked up to him, and I'm like, I was right to his face, and I'm like, fuck you, I wrote every one of these songs, put on his guitar, played one last song, and then threw his guitar off into the audience. Whoa. And, and uh, it was so gnarly that people thought literally it was staged. That's right. how it was. And, this, and again, it's from one of the two sold-out nights at House of Blues. Now, cut two. I walk off stage. I walk off stage, and I go into our green room, and my fucking daughter is in the back, and she's fucking bawling. This is Kaylin. Yeah. And she's about eight years old. And, and she's crying, and I'm going, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong, baby? She goes, Daddy, I'm scared, Rob came in here and he said, he said, he's going to kill you. He says, you're going to die. And then, and then my dad was in there too. I mean, all of our family's there too. Oh my God. Uh, and he's like, he's like, yeah, he came in and said, fucking fuck you, Pete, my dad. Fuck, fuck you. Fuck my brother. Uh, and right in front of my kids and said, he's going to kill me in front of my kids. At that point, I literally saw red and fucking was like, fucking doesn't matter how big he is. I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Yeah. So I saw my daughter like that. And so I, again, he's up, apparently he's upstairs in the, in the opening band's dressing room. I start running up the stairs. He starts running at me. He grabs a vodka bottle, swings down, boom, breaks the bottle, cuts his finger off. I get dragged down by the steps. And that was the last show that Rob Brewer played with us, quite honestly. And uh, the saddest thing is for a week, my daughter felt uncomfortable. It was, it was heartbreaking because she didn't feel safe in the house because she thought Rob was going to be climbing through the windows to kill me. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's terrible, man. And it's funny how, like, you know, you, if you guys had a little blow up on stage, right, whatever – you know, and maybe even if punches were thrown, maybe yeah, you guys get past that. You know, yeah. But me and Wade, me and Wade beat the shit out of each other a million times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the second that, like, yeah, like it starts involving family and stuff, that's when it all changes. You know. Yeah, I mean, that was it for me. It's like to see my daughter in that mental state and at that age. You know, she was again seven or eight years old. Yeah. So it was like that was it. And as a, as a parent, it's like. That was it, man. Someone, someone had to fucking die. <laughs> someone had to go. Yeah, that's and and that was it. And by no means, I mean Rob was a cool guy too. I'm not sure he was just embarrassed or what happened. You know, his wife and his family was there, and right. Whatever the reason is, is it escalated very quickly and very violently. And at this point in our career, 
we couldn't be violent anymore because Wade and I had been so many fights that we had to let him go because just at certain points, uh, you know, most of us were scared for our lives. You never know. It's, you know, you know, it only takes one, you know, accident punch to someone's in a temple to kill someone. You know what I'm saying? And so right. we were just, you know, we had already as a band, we had been in fucking four or five fights with each other. And then, you know, we had beat up other bands and we'd beat up stage managers and we'd beat up bouncers and we we're just, we we're just gnarly. And we were trying to clip that out of that. And so when this thing happened, it was just, it was, that was it for me. It was like, he's going or I'm going because I'm no longer living in fear in this fucking band. This is not yeah. rock and roll. It's not music. This is a fucking, it's like, uh, it's like MMA or it's, I don't even know what the <laughs> fuck it is, but it's not the way it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, I mean, under in law, like you guys were not, you guys were a fucking dangerous rock and roll band, you know? Uh, you yeah. guys were not just, how do I, how do I phrase this? You guys, it's well documented. You guys went through some shit. Will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will fuck up some shit. I mean, I know you. You've talked about guys in your band having full on drug addictions. Uh, you know, yeah. you went through periods of like where you were dating celebrities. Like you guys have that decadent rock star thing that you life that you led. That was real for Unwritten Law. Uh, again. Uh, pretty much, we were, we were we were a broke Motley Crew, and I'm a broke John Feldman. <laughs> broke Motley Crew, that's amazing. But no, seriously, like the the volatility and everything in that in your band over the years, like that that's so crazy. Like you must have just so many insane stories. I mean, for real, man, the stories I could tell you would fucking make you not want to be in our band for sure. No, I, <laughs> dude, I would be scared. I would be scared. <laughs> it's funny when when uh, when uh, Tom left Blink. And people are uh, talking about, oh, who, who are they going to get to replace Tom DeLong? I was like, what about Scott from Unwritten Law? And uh, that's, what I, that's what I said. Honestly, that was the first thing I was thinking, too. And I'm like, this motherfuckers. <laughs> never gave you a call, huh? Nah, never got that call. Yeah, I was, that's, that was my, uh, that was like, I was like, that wouldn't fucking make sense. But I talked to somebody about it, and I was like, no, nah, man, they're like, those guys are crazy. And I never toured with you guys before, but I, I know you guys have a reputation of being hard partying dudes drinking drugs chicks like the whole bit and despite this being the lead singer syndrome podcast you'd think every other interview would be like that but you're really like the first guy that's open to talking about it i mean uh, it's funny and that's kind of a comment as well it's funny you say that is that at this stage in my life and career i just I, I talked to my band about it last night it was it last night two nights ago and i'm like man i just can't do any fucking more interviews where i'm lying or saying the politically correct thing yeah like because i fucking hate interviews and uh, yeah, you know, I've got nothing more to say. You want you want to hear what I have to say? Put my fucking record on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this isn't an interview though. That's the thing. Like, I don't want to. I don't ever want. When I started this, because I obviously I've done a million interviews myself. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't you want this to be an interview. I just want to talk and have discussion. And and the amount of conversations I've had, like I think about the Anaheim House of Blues. I can think of a specific conversation I had with somebody there one time, where I was just like, "Fuck!" If somebody was listening to this conversation. Like it could be a fly on the wall and blow their mind, you know, and that's why I started this. So like that kind of shit is like what people want to hear and it's what it's what's real and doing the yeah, long yeah. format that we do. There's no cutting, cutting shit up. There's no editing it out. It's like this is real. And, and you know, it's a great place for people to be like, yeah, this is what happened. And you can tell a five minute, and 10 again. minute, 15 minute story, you know, and it's it's a great outlet for that. So, but, but I mean, you, I do, I, I do like that. And this is a different bit of an experience. As you know, as, as, as being a singer and doing interviews, 
man, those a lot of those questions are very repetitive. Like not not a little bit repetitive, but done. Fucking asked ten thousand yeah. times. I've been asked some questions ten thousand times. It's like of course, motherfucker, Google magic. <laughs> like dude, like fuck. Right, I know. <laughs> so yeah. So I appreciate actually your show and and this time. Yeah, man, absolutely. I do too. I do too. But but shit, like, give me something. Give me some rock star shit because uh, the lead the lead singer syndrome podcast. We need it. We need something. What is the question? <laughs> the question is, give me some rock star shit. That's what I want to hear. Oh man, I mean, again, use your fucking imagination. <laughs> but I, I mean, mean, okay, that... well, let's let's get a little deeper than that. Then I mean, like you sure. talked about drug addictions, like. That must have been. Was that you? Was that someone in the band? And how there's did that affect? Couple, there's been a couple of us with with drug problems. And how did that affect you guys? Like trying to do to be, you know, keep your shit together. Um. Well, you know, with uh, it's a uh, drug addiction is a disease, and yeah. it's, it's impossible to function as a four or five person functioning unit with a cancer in your band. So, you know, with some of the drugs that we were addicted to, it was impossible to write. Uh, you know, uh, people thought we were writing songs about each other when we really were just putting words that rhymed together. Right. And, uh, you know, it became impossible to tour, you know, coming, uh, crossing state lines with drugs, you know, crossing international lines with drugs. It's like you could end our career getting pulled over with drugs. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a drug addiction is no joke. And it's almost been the death of this band several times. Um, but uh, like cockroaches, you know, we keep going. I mean, you guys must have had some close calls. We've de- <laughs> we've definitely kicked. <laughs> I'm not pointing any names or saying any names, but we've definitely kicked a beagle at the fucking air- international airport <laughs> when it got too close to the dope. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, that's that yeah, is that's heavy crazy. shit. And we're talking about fucking felony go to fucking prison for fucking twenty years amount. So it's like we're. And this is in the old days, obviously, you know, again, we're 43. I'm a father of three. Chris Lewis is a father of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like these are, you know, we've been a band for 26 years. And so 26 years of craziness has really tapered down. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're a different entity now and we're serious. And quite honestly, we're just the first time in this band's career that we all mean it. And we're all sincere about it. And we all believe in it. And I cannot, I can honestly say that we did not. At, at no time before there was all, all four and or five of us believe in this band, but now we all we know we know what we're doing now, man. And this record that you're about ready to hear, or if you haven't heard it, is to me a sure sign of just that. And the already the, the concepts that are coming in for the new distorted record that we're doing, yeah, have no. We're we're not pigeonholing ourselves in any kind of box, so we can really do whatever the fuck we want to and cr- truly make which to me is punk rock, whatever it is that we want to make. And uh, that's the beauty of Unwritten Law now, whereas it used to be Unwritten Law, it used to be this terrifying f- fucking wrecking storm that would come through your town and fuck, you probably would fuck probably someone you really liked and beat up the, <laughs> and beat, beat up the other person you probably really liked and fucking then and do all your drugs and then leave. So it's like we have this trail of dead behind us, but that sincerely is not the case anymore. We're out here really, you know, fucking making, doing what we love. That's what we're doing. And that's what I think every band should do. But you're still buying $500 worth of fireworks. 
I mean, again, I didn't buy it, but I'm going to do them. <laughs> Just like I didn't buy $500 worth of dope last night, but I did it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't buy all that dope that you stole and borrowed and took from uh, from all those kids over the years, right? <laughs> fuck with you, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Where do we go from here? Where do we go? Yeah, right. I'm feeling this. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know it. You know the songs and everything, man. I'm a Blink fan, actually. I sang all over Dude Ranch. Like that's right. Yeah, I, th- I think I read that somewhere. Which, which? Because I, I mean, obviously, I've heard that record a million times. Which songs do you sing on it? I'm the one that's in tune. <laughs> <laughs> do you actually recall the the which songs? Um, I'm on Josie, I believe, and my girlfriend. Yeah, um, Lakes UL and DHC. Yeah, that's I a reference that's to that's a reference to you. John Rittenlaw and Dancehall Crashers. That is correct. There you go. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's three songs that I'm on on that record. Um, to be honest, I haven't heard that record in so long. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. 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 I'm sure Scotty, Scotty Mack, (laughs) he knows everything else about us. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the record you put out, which was the first one I ever heard, which was your self-titled record. When that record came out, it really, really changed the way I thought about punk rock. Okay. Thank you. That's a compliment, right? Yeah. It, it, it is a compliment, and, and I really mean it, because I was this kid, I only wanted to hear double-time punk rock, I only wanted to hear, you know, yep, yep. like, style of bands on, like, fat records, uh, you know, shit like that, and you guys had that, like, you guys had double-time songs and stuff, but, like, you actually could sing, you actually had good production, you know, uh, and it was very, very much different than other stuff that was happening at the time. And I don't know if you realized that it was or not, or it was a conscious decision. Quite honestly, is when when fat when epitaph was happening, we were very much wanted to be a part of that family. Then it started getting a bit out of control with fat records and every band. It was a cookie cutter sound. Everything sounded the same. Yeah. As soon as that started happening, again, I guess in a truly punk rock spirit, as we could not go with the grain, I couldn't, and so we started pulling away from it and basically alienated us from the, the from the scene that brought us up. Um, but in, in the defense of that, that theory, uh, it gave us longevity and it gave us respect. You know what I'm saying? So now it is possible for me to go fucking do this crazy acoustic record or go make a fucking failure record next or do whatever it is that I want to do. To me, that's punk rock. And to me, that's being a true and pure artist. And that's all I really want to do. Cause again, at the end of the day, it's really about when, what you leave this earth, what you leave behind on this earth. And for me, it's like, I want to make sure that. I wasn't just a cookie cutter fucking microwaved artist or musician. I I did something and I sucked to my guns and I did things the way I wanted to. And I made music to what, what that I wanted to hear. And that's exactly what I'm doing until I take my last breath, mate. Right, dude. No, I, I can respect that. And, and what you said about alienating people, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. I was 17 when that record came out and um, uh-huh. I hated the fact it was on a major label. Like people, I don't, I mean, I couldn't give a fuck now what's on a major label, what's on an indie label, whether you're on Cybertracks or Interscope or, or Epic. I don't like, I don't care at all, but, and I don't think kids care anymore either. Like fans, I don't think they care, but the whole thing is done. Right. But back then that made a difference. People didn't like unwritten law because they thought it was too corporate. And because, because Kalen had, had, you know, turntables in it. Like, you know, that shit must have been. A struggle for you guys when you guys were looked at like almost like sellouts when really you were doing the opposite because you could have made yeah. a double time cookie cutter 
Fat Records Punk Record? I could not have said it better myself, and thank you for answering that question. And it's exactly what we did is we went against the grain, which is what the spirit of punk rock is. And uh, to this day, you know, the same, the same, the same thing goes. And that was another deciding factor, quite honestly, with going to Cybertracks is we know what we did when we did that. We it was a conscious decision, and you got to imagine you're talking about, you know, four or five, four or five punk rock, you know, kind of white trash kids from Poway, California, with no money. And at first, we stuck to our guns. We stuck to our guns for the first, you know, two records. Right. And like, no, no, no. But then when someone flashed fucking a million dollars or two million dollars in front of your face, all of a sudden that fucking punk rock shit goes out the window. You yeah. Know what I'm it's time. It's fucking Miller time. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. So, it's it's San Diego. You got way better beer than Miller. Come on. Yeah, I know. But it's a commercial. It's a joke. <laughs> Forget it. Fuck it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. So, um, uh, we again, we weren't making, we weren't still even at that point when we quote unquote sold out. We weren't making songs to make it to the radio. We just were making songs that we thought sounded good and what we wanted to hear. And Kalen actually, in particular, wasn't a track made for Unwritten Law. It was a track, it was a song that I'd written for my daughter just as a gift to let her know how much I loved her. Yeah. And uh, that I could play to her every night, whatever. And my AR heard it and he goes, That song's making it on the record. And thank God that. He did hear that record because that was our first top 20 single. And that was the song that made it possible for us to have longevity and to continue to put out records. Because if I wouldn't have had her, if I wouldn't have written that song, that song, then we would have been dropped from our label. And that would have been the end of Unwritten Law's career. But in retrospect and hindsight, if it wasn't for that girl, that little girl in that song, man, you know, Unwritten Law wouldn't be here today. That's really That's cool. The- that's a beautiful Those thing, man. That's a beautiful thing. Um, it's, be I'll tell you a quick story. I remember I was listening to um, like sh- a shitty radio station here. In a, 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 I was in a rental car actually because I smashed up my car, and I was listening. I never listened to the radio, but they had um, this one hit wonder segment on the radio, uh-huh. and sure enough, Seeing Red comes on the radio. And I was like, ah, fuck. Like, How wrong are they? We have five top 20 singles, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But you know what? Like, it, it's, there's that bit of that reputation. People say, oh, yeah, I remember that band. Aren't they the scene Red Band? Yes, yes. And yes, like, yes, that, sure. that must piss you off because you guys are, have done so much more and you were, like, uh, you know, you were part of something much bigger and then you were part of your own thing that was, you know, and you still are here. And those other one, like, other one hit wonder bands from the 90s that were actually one hit wonder bands are finished, you know? So that pissed me off, but that song was, I mean, we have to talk about that song. I mean, sure. It's an incredible song. Uh, it's, 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 I think, I think it's an all right song. I, I think, think it's, it's a great song. It's, you know what it, though, man, it's part of why that song has, you know, okay. When you're writing so- a song and I know you understand this because you're a songwriter and you write for other people, like there's a way to be like, okay, I'm going to write a verse. I'm going to write a chorus and I'm going to write a bridge and I'm going to figure it out. Yep. That song has so many elements that are very unorthodox. Yeah, that's to... exactly correct, which is why I was like, why the fuck do they want to choose this song? Because, like, as you so eloquently put it, most songs go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, yeah. exit. And this song in particular goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, ending verse, which is very unorthodox. And when Tom Wally, the, the president at Interscope at the time, is like, this is a single, I'm like, man, this isn't a single. This single is like, trust me. And, of course, we trusted him, and thank God we did, because then we were... You know what's worse than being a one-hit wonder? <laughs> being a no-hit wonder. <laughs> sure. That's very true, man. So, so um, 
so yeah, so you know he made uh, he made the right call as, as he should. That was his job, and that song did very well for us. That song literally literally put us on the map. You know what I'm saying? In a, in a, in a global aspect, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. It was number one for four weeks, which is uh, something I'm very proud of, to be honest. It's an amazing, it's an amazing track, and I still like, I still throw it on all the time. And and the reason, thank you very much. The reason is it's it's got like, you know, you say, and I know he's a songwriter. You understand this, like, you, there's structure and there's things that that are like scientifically, yes, are are there that make a good song, right? Like, there's you can yep. you can use your brain all you want, but there's something about the, that magic and and the fact that it's unorthodox and the fact that it has something to it is what made it so so much special than every other song you know that was out for those you know four weeks when it was number one right yeah so it's it's just yeah i just um you wrote that song yeah front to back cool i also love that the first chord of the song is like a tritone (laughs) you know i'm talking about isn't it like uh yeah it's like you know like uh whatever interval it is like a flat five you know I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but I'm pretty pretty sure you are correct. (laughs) Yeah, I just think like that is so, I just thought, I think it's so rad. And and I was like proud of you guys. Some of my friends that that liked you guys thought you were uh, sellouts, but I fucking loved that song so much. But but I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. I I had your back. And not just because I'm talking to you right now. Very cool. Dude, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man, but um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, that's for sure. Cool. Uh, so you guys, do you guys have a release date for uh, for this? Uh, you called it a distorted record, which I loved. Well, just uh, I mean, we're not going to call. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll call it a distorted record. We call this one acoustic. That's a that, <laughs> that would be actually kind of cool. But no, I, I know I knew what you meant <laughs> when you said distorted. distorted. But I just I just thought it was funny to differentiate between the records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I mean, this one, uh, the, the, the full band. You know what I'm saying? Whereas when you listen to this record, you're going to see that there's some songs there's no bass. You know what I'm saying? And, Right. Uh, in some songs there's no drums. There's uh, you know there's there's uh, there's midis and uh, there's uh, there's samples. There's there's crazy shit going on in there. The only thing, the only the only consistent thread throughout the whole record is there is an acoustic. The, the acoustic guitars is is the foundation of it. Other than that, the production is all over the place. Right. Uh, I'm trying to look at my notes. See what else there is. What else you got to tell me? Anything else interesting? You know, you know, you know. What's interesting is Ohio is going to be interesting tonight. <laughs> Where are you guys playing tonight? Uh, Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> what uh, what venue? Grog Shop. Oh, the good old Grog Shop. Yeah, that place is all right. Are you going to incorporate some pyro into your uh, sh- into your show tonight? You know, we are now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Let's get. You got to get banned. Have you guys been banned from uh, a lot of venues? Uh if I said no, I'd be lying. <laughs> so which we've ones? Off, we've, we've been kicked off the warp two or three times. We've we've been yelled at two or three times by Live Nation on this tour alone. And the thing is, is we haven't even been bad. It's like it's just the reputation precedes us. So it's like we leave a fucking a beer on the floor or something like that, and it's all unwritten law destroyed a fucking other dressing room. It's like, dude, like what the fuck, man? It's like, dude, I was gonna say we literally, you know, just to save face at this point of here. We have to clean up our green rooms just to cover the tracks of 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 the trail of dead that we've left, uh, uh, you know, in our our, our our whole career. Trail of weight. Trail of weight. Trail of weight. Yeah, no, I. You guys must have been through so many agents, booking like booking agents and management and stuff, like just screaming at you and like qu- like quitting on you. It must have happened all the time. 
We've had it. We've had a couple people quit, and we've we've fired a couple people. But yeah, yeah we've been uh, we've been on like four or five major labels. We've been on you know three independent labels. Um, we've had several management changes. We've had several agent changes. Um, you know, we have a lot of people. Yeah, no, I just mean I mean with we your made, volatile with your volatile <laughs> lifestyle. You know, on tour, it's like it's you know it's what happens. But I mean, I guess people know when they get into it with you guys that there is that volatility. Which I think, to me, quite honestly, like, is, is, it would be the fun thing. I mean, uh, this, this is what Jen, Jen Abeta says, and she's uh, the one of the, she's El Jefe's wife and the owner of the label. Right. Everyone wondered, like, oh, you, you know, you're picking up unwritten law. Be careful. Those guys are fucking crazy, whatever. And it's dope because she sees the real us and her aunt, you know, she's told me that her answer to other people when they say that, oh my God, how is it with unwritten law? We heard their nightmare. And, you know, she's, she openly says that we're the easiest and, easiest band to work with and her favorite band to work with on the label by far so nice i mean that to, to me that to me that's that's that speaks volume and it shows that we are that we, we have you know we have grown up again it's like we're just uh at, you know we just we love doing what we're doing and we love playing music and so we're we're trying to be on our best behavior but again we are unwritten law yeah man absolutely well hey Dude, thanks again, man. It's it's really really nice speaking to you. As I said, like I've uh, it's funny. I was just I was at my parents' house today, and um, I was talking to my mom, and I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, I'm I'm interviewing um, a guy from a band. Oh yeah, you probably remember like I had the T-shirt when I was a kid, and unwritten law. She's like, you used to have the poster. Is he the guy with the cig- <laughs> was he the guy with the cigarette in his mouth and the poster? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's him. She's like, oh my god, that's so cool. You're doing such a cool thing. That is, you know, you get to talk to oh, your childhood, you know. Because I had that poster on the wall with like the you know the five five faces or whatever yep, it was. Yep, yep, yep. With a so, cigarette. Yep. I mean, my mom wasn't my mom wasn't stoked on that poster either. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Hey, um, all right, real quick before you go, you got one story for me, and then uh, and then I'll, I'll let you head over to the grog shop. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll give you a little rundown of uh, this tour. Okay. <laughs> so, why don't we start with with today? No. Uh, this tour started out uh, starting in Los Angeles three weeks ago. Uh, our drummer missed the very first show and one of the, the second show, the, one of the biggest shows at the Palladium. Uh, <laughs> he got caught in traffic, couldn't make the show. Last second, we had to call our, our good friend Dylan Howard, who plays for our, who's played for Unwritten Law and played for everyone else, to pull into the to the to pull up and fucking played our set at the Palladium. By the very last second, uh, we pulled it off. And our we were meant to be on a bus. The bus driver didn't pass his medical so he couldn't drive our bus so at the last second we're scrambling for a fucking whip uh we have a friend of a friend who was meant to deliver an rv to that very palladium show he never showed up so to make our way to arizona the second show or the third show excuse me uh, when we get there he shows up he's on heroin and speed and and the rental agreement of, of what he proposed to rent us didn't match up <laughs> oh he didn't even show up that day we played oh he played Oh, okay, cool. And then I dislocated my shoulder. Yeah, okay, so okay, so he didn't even show up to that that third or fourth show. He shows up a day later, and uh, but for, let's cut to the night before. Our guitar player Chris Lewis and also Phoenix guitar player Chris Lewis, same dude, uh, plays the Phoenix TX set. Yeah, second song, second song in our set, fucking trips, hits his, his shoulder on a wall, dislocates his shoulder fully, has to be rushed to the hospital. Second song in, so our legendary guitar or tour manager scotty mack from australia knows all of our songs better than we do <laughs> and stepped in and played the whole set cut to the next day the the rv finally shows up 
this is it did not look like the picture <laughs> uh it's uh he's like yo man i have four you know i have four bunks in the back i put a recording screen in the back fucking did this to it did that to it and none of that happened um uh, he has a dog with him and chris is allergic to dogs <laughs> and so and now uh, uh so now cut to he's here he comes clean yo man i'm kicking dope I'm like you know i'm just talking to him as as a parent, like, man, you know, he can't be transporting dope across state lines, first of all. Secondly, I have three kids. Chris Lewis has a child. You got to be safe. What do you want? He came clean. He's like, honestly, he's like, I got two grams of fucking H shelves right now. And if you don't know what shelving means, it means it's hidden in your butt. Yes, I know. And uh, he goes, and I'm, I'm trying to kick heroin in speed. And I'm like, okay. He's like, but don't worry. I'm super safe driving. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's so inevitably... We, uh, the very next day, we drop him off the airport, send him home, and commandeer his RV. And, uh, throughout the course of that, we found needles on here. We found some speed on here. Oh, my God. Me and my baby, me and my baby brother Johnny have broken out into some kind of rash, and we can only guess it's mites or bed bugs from this fucking disgusting RV. Now, cut to like a week into the, or five days into this, the very same RV, we're driving through Kansas, and the fucking, I'm not joking, Literally, the back half of the roof rips off while we're going down the freeway. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. God. And, uh, and so, and we're, and we're heading into a storm. So, like, what the fuck? So, maybe they're just, like, a thin piece of plywood where the roof used to be and where the, the top <laughs> vent is. Where the vent is, the vent is completely ripped off. So there's a huge hole in the middle of it. So, we had to go to, uh, like, a Home Depot and buy a whole bunch of, basically, liquid rubber and fucking tarmac the fucking top of it. So, it'd be waterproof. The storm would go right. through. And, the hits just keep on coming on this tour, man. It still leaks. It still leaks. Yeah, I'm not going to joke. But, <laughs> but wow. what else? What are, some other, what are some other good? I mean, that's thus far. Am I, am I missing anything? No, that, that's the that's the bolt. That's, that's the first week. Yeah, that's week one, dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, man. You, it's always an adventure with unwritten law. And you know what? I'm with that sh- kind of shit that seems to follow you guys. I guess you're so used to it that you just laugh it off at this point. And you're just like, well, I mean, bring it on. What's next? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The next day we laugh about it. <laughs> you shake it off like Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what? Again, like everyone for the first time really wants to be here and really believes in not only ourselves but each other. So it's like we will ride this bitch to the wheels fall off straight up. And we truly just want people at this point to listen to our music, you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. That we put, every night that we play, we play like it's our last show. We play with our heart and soul, and I can't say that for every band, you know what I'm saying? No, I, and I and that passion you guys have is is fucking real, and you guys are real real dudes, and you don't sugarcoat shit. You don't, no. you know, politically correct is not your style, and no. I've, I've always appreciated that, and I've always understood that, and I think a lot of people, other people do too, and that's what's kept you guys around is you guys are fucking real. Cool, man. I appreciate that compliment, and that is exactly how we feel. Absolutely. Well, hey, you guys, you know, still, be safe. I hope the wheels don't literally fall off on that thing. (laughs) Wish for thinking. (laughs) Take care. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. I hope to talk to you again sometime, and uh, fuck, I can't wait for the new record. Yeah, my phone roommate, use it anytime. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, fuck, one love, buddy. Yeah, hey, thanks, guys. No, man, take care, bro. So there it is, my conversation with Scott. Some pretty wild times still going on in the Unwritten Law camp. They might say they've grown up, and maybe they have quite a bit, but it's still getting pretty, pretty crazy right now on tour. Uh, They're still on tour, so go check them out. Great band, great live band, and some tremendous songs as well. 
If you like this episode, go tell your friends, go share it on social media. Please help spread the word about this podcast. I know it's starting to get big. It's starting to get popular, but we're still growing. So anything you can do to help, I really do appreciate it. As always, I'm going to leave you with some music. And this was a very hard decision for me. I couldn't just pick one song. So I'm going to play you two songs. The first song is the big hit, See in Red, which we talk about a whole bunch in the podcast. So I really wanted to make sure. I'm sure you guys already know the song. But if you didn't, I wanted to make sure you knew what we were talking about with some of the references to the song structure. And of course, the intro chord being a tritone, which is very, very unorthodox. The second song is my personal favorite, the first track off the self-titled record. It's called Harmonic, and I just love the intro with the tuning. That is like such a genius idea. So here are the songs, See in Red, and right after, Harmonic by Unwritten Law. Peace and love, and we'll see you next week. I'm seeing red Don't think you'll have to see my face again Don't have much time for
No, I wanna 